Hello and welcome to the Ties Fundamental Value Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. I'm super lucky today to be joined by not only the, the king of crypto mining in North America, but a good friend of mine, Mike Collier, CEO at DCG Foundry. Mike, it's so great to have you on. Joshua, thank you very much. Excited to be here. I'm not sure king of crypto mining is the right description. But. I, I, I added in North America <laughs> at the end. Well, 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 Jihan, we're coming for you. Don't worry. I, I, I see you, Mike. Don't worry. So, so let's, let's roll right into it. So can you, can you give us uh, a little background on yourself? And you, know, you weren't always mining crypto. So what were you doing before you stumbled upon Bitcoin in this industry? Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm older than most in the crypto space. So I've had 20 plus years of, uh, working in what I call the traditional world now. Um, so manufacturing, distribution, uh, started my career uh, with GE back in the 90s uh, when GE was, you know, like one of the main companies in the world. And the last 10 years, I, I was a hired gun uh, for private equity firms. So I'd come into a company and, and be the president or CEO and, and try to um, fix it. You know, so I spent, you know, early part of my career, I was a Six Sigma black belt, lean manufacturing, kind of process improvement, and uh, just kind of have that mindset in terms of, of uh, approaching different problems. And uh, that's one of the reasons I jumped into the crypto world. Yeah. And so how did you first stumble upon digital assets? And when did you kind of decide that, hey, this is something I want to, you know, dive full time into? You know, I think everybody's got their, you know first discovered Bitcoin story, right? Like uh, mine was actually way back in, geez, like 2012. I had, a, I had a, a kid at the time working for me. He was a physics major. And he came into my office and said, hey, I can, I can mine Bitcoin. And uh, we spent like three hours talking about Bitcoin and what it, what it is. And, and at the end of it, we concluded, yeah, it's mostly just for drug dealers and and bad people, and we probably should avoid it, right? And I didn't pay much attention to it uh, until 2017. And I had a chance to take some time off um, in between uh, gigs. And my wife asked me to, she said, take the whole summer off and just enjoy, enjoy the summer. And I, uh, I stumbled upon blockchain technology. And as I read about it, I I realized it reminded me of the start of the internet. So I was in college when like Netscape came out way back, like way, way back. And it just, with blockchain technology, I realized that fixes a lot of things that can't be fixed with internet, with just the internet. And I thought, wow, this is going to drive a lot of productivity and efficiency for businesses in the future. Uh, and I just became fascinated with it. And and so so why mining? Why was mining the first foray into crypto for yourself? I mean, I know you had that experience back in 2012, but so yeah, I didn't do anything with it in 2012. Like not like zero, right? Just we talked about a conversation. It. Yeah, it was a conversation, and that was it. That's more than a lot of people had in 2012. So yeah, um, very yeah, very true. Um, so it wasn't you know mining wasn't my first foray. I spent. I spent the month of August of 2000 or July, most of July and August in 2017, I would say like day trading crypto. Um, Everybody's first experience in crypto yeah, is day trading. So it's day trading, right? And, and uh, it doesn't matter if you know how to day trade or not. Everybody's first experience is day trading. By the way, I, I had no clue. Like I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. Um, and I, you know, I was spending like 15, 20 hours a day researching crypto learning about it, met some guys in, I live in Rochester, New York, and I met some guys in Buffalo that had this blockchain, Buffalo blockchain startup or meetup every Tuesday, I'd drive to Buffalo and, and I'd listen to them talk about, you know, all these altcoins and everything that was going to happen in crypto. And, and, um, and I, I learned a tremendous amount about myself. It was probably, probably some of the most I'm, I'm glad I did it. Those six weeks of day trading taught me a lot about the market and about myself. And I realized, man, I'm not good at this and I'm way too emotional and I gotta, I can't, I can't survive day trading. Right. And, 
and just sitting behind the computer and it just wasn't that engaging for me or exciting. I, I thought, man, I want to build something. And I really felt like this is the way of the future. Um, we're still very early and I was an engineer by background and I just, I was like, you know what? We have to build out the infrastructure first before this thing can really grow. So I started exploring mining and I got deeper and deeper into the mining world. It made sense to me. Like I connected the dots and, and I thought, well, mining is always going to be here. It's always critical to um, the overall network, providing the security. And I lived in Western New York where it was cold and we had cheap hydropower. So I was like, when, when was the last time we had a competitive advantage in Western New York? And I thought I would, I would jump into mining. And I decided... Well, well as a Jets fan, at least you got an advantage over us with the Bills. So you got, you got one thing going. Do, do they still have a football team down there in New York? Yeah, we got two of them. They, I think they have two wins between both of them. So, <laughs> Ah, the Bills, finally. Finally, 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 we got a winning season. It's been exciting. <laughs> I, I just can't wait for the Jets to win a game and end up with a second draft pick because it's the most Jets thing to do as a Jets fan. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was the mining space like when you initially started? Um, you know, and, and how have you seen it evolved over the years? And I kind of mean that you know, across a few different spectrums, but I assume it was a lot more fractured of a space back then and, and less sophisticated, but I would love to get your full take on that. Yeah. So, you know, the, um, China got out to a, a really fast start on, I, sh- I shouldn't say that, you know, the, when I read about mining, the history of mining, it was, it was really big in North America early on and in Europe, and it was really decentralized. And it wasn't really until, um, Bitmain was able to mass produce the, the ASIC, um, machines, that China became a dominant force in it, right? So they they st- they figured out how to build the A6 at scale, and then some entrepreneurs in China decided, hey, let's go mine at scale, and they started building out big mining farms, you know, in kind of late two thousand, you know, two, the year two thousand sixteen, and most of the machines went that direction, right? Um, and in the U.S., we we really hadn't moved to any kind of scale. So when I got when I got involved, um, you know, people were talking about doing large-scale mining, but nobody was actually doing it. And I got connected with a great company here in Western New York um, called Savage. They wanted me to to come in and help grow their business, and we grew it from like one megawatt to three megawatts, which at the time seemed like this enormous scale. And then uh, I knew the guys that started Core Scientific, and um, I went down to visit them and they had, they'd built out like six megawatts in six weeks in early 2018. And it was just one of those. They came out with a blast. Yeah. I was like, wow, that that's a lot of machines and a lot of megawatts really fast. Um, and then they, they talked me into joining with them. And, and while I was there, we, we kind of grew it from like 25 megawatts to a hundred megawatts. I think today they're up over 150 and growing um, with plans, you know, to go to like 250 megawatts. So they're one of the largest in North America. So what I would, I would say what happened, I think in 2017, a lot of entrepreneurs in North America realized that mining at scale was a real thing. It was a real industry. And we had some competitive advantages in North America and people started investing and started scaling. Um, so. Um, and today, you know, it's continued to scale at, at an even greater rate. It's amazing. And and so, like, how many major players would you, you know, I mean, guess guess there are in, in North America at this point? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of smaller operations, but, you know, is it is it, you know, a handful of big players, you know, that are kind of the size of Core Scientific or still a little bit fractured? Uh, you know, I think there's probably, I'd say there's 10 to 15 large scale miners in North America between the U S and, and Canada. And so, yeah, can you, can you kind of describe uh, your experience? I know you mentioned Savage and I know you started something on your own before that and you went to core scientific. What were the different roles that you played at these organizations? Yeah. So early on, I, I, um, you know, I'm not a computer scientist, right? So um, that's not my, that's not my background. Um, but, uh, I had a chance, you know, I thought I was going to go build my own mining farm. 
Um, so I found some property, I found some cheap electricity. Uh, and then, you know, I got connected with, with the Savage guys and, you know, I, I did everything, you know, put machines on the shelf, plugged them in. Um, I can remember, you know, the first week of July of 2018 was one of the hottest weeks ever in Western New York. Cause I know at like 1130 at night, I was still, um, working with my, my good buddy, Neil, cutting a hole in the wall, putting more fans in so that the machines wouldn't burn up, you know? So kind of, it got, got my hands dirty, um, you know, doing some of that, that work. And, uh, and then, you know, I spent a lot of time with at core on the business development side, really understanding the landscape of, of mining in the world, um, built strong relationships with the manufacturers over in China. Um, you know, mining is, is really the wild, wild west. Uh, uh, it's getting better, but it was really hard to figure out who was real and who was not real in the mining space. I, and, I feel uh, like that's still a little bit the case, no? Or is it, is it becoming more clear? Uh, I, so it is still the case, um, but, it's, but a lot of people got washed out. So I think, you know, in this next bull run, you know, in 2021, we're going to see a lot of scams. We're going to see a lot of people reappearing or jumping into mining. You know, everyone's going to be touting their, you know, one gigawatt facilities with, you know, one cent power. You know, we're going to see lots of that stuff come back. Um, so you have to be very, very careful as you tread through. Yeah, the what, are the, what are the telltale signs of, of, you know, I guess you kind of brought a couple of them up, like having a gigawatt of of power, but, but yeah. So I, I think it's, um, if it's too good to be true, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, so you just have to be really careful. Um, you know, to be successful in mining, mining is a great business. It's a great industry. People ask me like, is it profitable to mine? Well, if it wasn't profitable, then the network would collapse and Bitcoin would go away. Right. So, um, it's profitable for somebody somewhere to keep the machines running or, or the whole system doesn't work. And in order to do that, you, you really do have to understand the cycles of mining. So like Leo Zhang has put out some really great research around kind of characterizing the, the cycles of mining and you have to buy machines at the right time. You have to buy them for the right price. You have to have low cost power. And then you have to, you have to be able to, manage them, you know, find a good hosting partner that can keep them running. So if you do all those things right, um, it, it's a great business. I think people tend to get too emotional when it comes to mining. Um, and it becomes more like, uh, more like just an inv investing, you know, and um, they can make bad decisions or they can be talked into making bad investments. Um, so you gotta, you gotta have a long-term plan and you have to understand how to play the cycles of the mining industry. No different than, you know, like drilling for oil or, you know, mining gold and there's times to be investing and there's times not to be investing. Um, so I've, you know, the last, the last 12 months, it's been a lot of interesting conversations where, you know, it's, it's been you know, basically like, look at if, if you don't think it's good to invest right now, you probably shouldn't be in the mining business, you know? <laughs> right. If you're not investing at Bitcoin 19 K, you probably shouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. Like if you, if you think it's overheated, then yeah, this isn't the right space for you. And so most recently, and, and obviously most exciting, uh, this has actually been going on for a while, but very quietly, uh, you joined DCG and, and spun off a new subsidiary with a hundred million dollars in fundraising uh, called Foundry Digital. Um, so can you describe how Foundry got started in the original version, uh, vision for the firm? Yeah, so uh, Barry Silbert, the founder and CEO of, of the Digital Currency Group, he, um, uh, you know, he's been in the space for a long, long time. He uh, has avoided mining, right? So he always avoided the mining space. He just felt like uh, it was difficult to navigate it was hard to tell what was real and not real. And, and just, he found other ways to, uh, to make money in crypto. And, uh, in, you know, the middle of last year, he tried to buy some equipment to mine a, a couple of coins he was interested in and realized that not much had changed, um, in the mining space. And he just thought it was a really good opportunity and the time was right to, 
um, start making some big investments in North American mining and really, you know, increase the, you know, the professionalism of, of the industry. And he felt like institutional money was going to start pouring into the space in a way that we'd never seen before. And, and uh, we needed to provide the tools necessary to make that happen. Um, so he founded Com- uh, Foundry. So we are focused on decentralized infrastructure, whether it's proof of work or proof of stake. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time in both worlds. We're, we're essentially the infrastructure team for DCG. You know, so anything that, that's related to infrastructure kind of comes our way. And uh, Barry, basically, you know, I, I joined in October last year. We spent most of the last 12 months in stealth mode, just kind of building. Uh, we, we announced to the world in, I think it was August, late August, what we were doing. Um, and he, he basically gave me a white sheet of paper and said, um, go figure out how to leverage the DCG brand. It's um, uh, the trust that it's built, it's balance sheet, it's portfolio companies and see where we can add the most value to North American mining. And uh, so we, you know, we spent a, a month or two kind of going through a lot of different thoughts and ideas and, and we settled in on, you know, we want to bring more hash rate to North America. And uh, there had been a lot of infrastructure built out, but most of the miners needed to upgrade their equipment. And uh, so we provided, we decided to launch our equipment financing business. So using the equipment as collateral, um, we allowed miners to scale. And, and really what that, what it allowed us to do is get to the front of the line to get equipment from micro BT and from Bitmain. And uh, those were the two guys that were producing the best machines. Um, and we were able to bring a lot of equipment into a lot of hash rate in North America. So we've, we've deployed now well over a hundred million dollars into North American mining. Um, we mine ourselves, so we have our own equipment. We don't have any of our own facilities. Uh, we host with, um, with kind of the top providers in North America. So we've got equipment, you know, spread out throughout North America. And And how many assets are you guys mining? A lot. Is it is it predominantly Bitcoin or is it really mixed? Yeah, I mean it's predominantly Bitcoin, right? So we do mine some other coins. Um, Equihash mining's been great. Uh, you know, we mine a little bit uh, uh, in with Ethereum, um, but it's mostly Bitcoin. Uh, so we're one of the largest Bitcoin miners, I think, in North America now, um, as well as providing you know financing for. Um, other miners, you know, our, our really, our goal is to grow the industry and to support the entire ecosystem. So one thing you mentioned to me a few years ago already, um, and, and that stuck with me is the fact that at the end of the day, miners have an electricity bill each month and have, you know, at the end of the month, you got to pay to keep the lights on. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's kind of this, this need to, you know, sell out of your coin. So, I mean, I assume that, that the demand for, 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 for borrowing is, is incredibly high or, or is, as, has that kind of changed since Bitcoin's price has run up more or does it, is it remain constant in terms of the need to borrow and does it, does it kind of increase as newer equipment comes into the market? So I think, um, you know, the, in terms of, of upgrading your equipment, most miners uh, need financing to upgrade the, to the next gen equipment, right? So they use financing for that, or some of them will raise capital through equity. In terms of paying your electricity bill, you know, I think that gets pretty risky if you start leveraging up in a, in a great deal to borrow more money to pay the electricity bill. But the, the new equipment, the new machines, you know, they make plenty of money to, to pay your, your electricity bill as well as provide um, to be able to you know, pay off the units in less than 18 months. So... Uh, so miners, yeah, miners liquidate on a monthly basis to, to pay their hosting bills and electricity bills. And so, you know, we're obviously seeing this giant institutional run into the space. And so how do institutions interact with mining, right? Cause we hear all of these, you know, large financial institutions are deciding to, or just, you know, you know, large hedge fund guys that are now taking a position in Bitcoin or in GBTC or buying CME Bitcoin futures, but you don't really hear that much conversation and that much talk about these institutions interacting with mining. So 
I'm sure there are tremendous opportunities for them to get involved with the space and to get involved with Foundry. Can you kind of walk us through what some of those are? Yeah. Uh, so our our view is um, mining. Uh, I think of mining more like a utility. You know, so people, a lot of people get into mining and they think that they're going to get rich mining and and say, look at it, if if you want to swing for the fences, just buy Bitcoin and and hold, right? Uh, mining is a way to protect the downside risk of the fluctuations in the in the market, and uh, I think over time it kind of produces a a good steady, I think of it like a good steady dividend, right, for your your investment. And if you manage your cash right, you continually upgrade your equipment over time. This can be a good long-term business, and I think it's gonna—it's—it's it's a critical infrastructure for the future world. And our view is, in through this cycle and into the next cycle, we think um, more uh, power producers are going to get involved in the space. More utilities are going to get in, involved in the space, and even nation states are going to have a strategy around Bitcoin mining. Like, how do we utilize our natural resources to support this uh, network? So we're, we're at the very beginning of this kind of next cycle. Um, you know, in the United States, our, our, a, big, a big portion of our electrical infrastructure is decentralized and hedge funds own power plants. And, and these guys are starting to look at this and go, wow, this is, um, this is actually... Uh, a great business for us to to get into, and we're starting to see examples pop up um, around the country. And I think we're going to see more and more of that over the next uh, couple of years. And so, I guess, kind of a similar on a similar note, and you kind of alluded to it. You know, mining is is the infrastructure for crypto, right? And so, why why does that make Foundry strategically important to the rest of DCG and the efforts that DCG is undertaking? Yeah, great. So, great question. Um, you know, I think uh, Barry is a big believer in the future of this decentralized finance world and um, a huge believer in Bitcoin, has been since the early days. Uh, so, you know, I think if you believe long, if Bitcoin is going to be here long term, then, then the, you're, you're always going to have the infrastructure uh, to support it, right? So it's a, it's a long-term play. And I think that was one of the the key things for me and what made me the most excited about coming to DCG was, you know, Barry made it very clear early on. He's like, look at Mike, you're building a business for the next 10 to 20 years. Like, don't worry about the next six months. Don't even worry about this cycle. We're going to make long-term bets on this space. And I don't need you to hit a home run. Just get on base. And, uh, so it's exciting. It gives it gives me a lot of freedom to to think longer term, to make investments longer term, and um, mining is always going to be here. You know, I, I spend a lot of time working with the the Genesis team. I, I know you know the guys over at, at uh, Genesis uh, fairly well. They're they've got a great insight into the market, um, and you know they're big believers in in the mining space. And we've been doing a lot of work actually with Genesis around how to help miners be more successful, right? So, you know, most people that get into mining, get into mining because they, they like the idea of how do I make something more efficient? How do I get these machines plugged in? How do I keep them running? How do I make Bitcoin, right? They're all about like, how do I make Bitcoin? Um, and uh they make all this Bitcoin, but they don't necessarily know what to do with the Bitcoin, right? So they, they've made it. And now they think that, and I, I've done it myself. Like I've lived through this personally of trying to time the market of, okay, I, I'm, I'm getting paid Logging in Bitcoin. Logging Coinbase and dropping all your Bitcoin on one day. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, oh, I think, I think Tuesdays are good days to sell. Or you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold a little bit longer. And um, so I'd say treasury management is kind of like, the next frontier um, for Bitcoin miners is really learning how to manage their, their, what they make, right? And they have to, they have to produce cash flow because they got to pay their bills. Uh, so we've been spending a lot of time with the Genesis folks and experimenting with different things with our own mining operation 
So we've been working with like the derivatives team and, you know, they're, they're like, Oh, you, you should be, you know, is this Josh Lim? Who's uh yeah, J- Josh is, he's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, and, and he's been, he's been so patient with me cause I really don't know much about that part of the world. And, um, and he's been learning the mining space, right? So it's kind of a two-way street. Um, and, and interestingly, what, the same thing goes with token foundations, right? There's a similar there's a similar thing going on, and I think a lot of the foundations have started to actually open up trading desks and you know work with other different types of market participants on that front because they have the same challenge, right? Uh, if you're a token issuer, you have to pay 150 staff members each month, right? And you don't know how to manage a treasury, right? Just like a, a miner is more technical in nature. Right, a token issuer tends to be, you know, more focused on development. I think there's a lot of parallels there. Absolutely, and and even in the discussions I've had with Joshua, he's like, well, you could sell a forward call on all your mining for the next twelve months or twelve, you know, next next month. And so I'm I'm walking through, and he's teaching me how these, you know, how I could sell this call, Options, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, but this call option, right? And and he's like, well, if if the price falls though on the last day and I have to sell, I could get really hurt. He's like, well, yeah, that's, that's, you know, part of the risk you're taking. I'm like, yeah, but I can't afford to take that much risk because I got to pay my electric bill. So we've been looking at like, what's the right percent, what's the right timing. And we've been, we've been doing it for the last three, three months or so. And we're making extra money at it, you know? And it's, it's really, um, it's really fascinating. And I, and, and our goal is to bring more of those tools to other miners in the space and help them really de-risk their operations as well as profitize their operations. And I think you have to have different strategies for different um, parts of the cycle, right? So now, I mean, you want to try to hang on to as many Bitcoin as you can right now in this cycle because the, the price is moving up, right? So if you can, you can lend those coins to, to, to Genesis and earn interest on it or lend the coins and, and take fiat out to pay your electricity bill, but hold more coins for the next six months. Um, there's a lot of different strategies. Yeah, there's, there. there's two, two interesting things or quick things come to my mind, right? When, when you say that. The first is, you know, there's, I guess there's this inevitable kind of conflict that most miners have because I think most miners are incredibly long Bitcoin, right? And so on one hand, you have the day-to-day profitability of this organization and maximizing shareholder interest, but you also have this love and interest in Bitcoin and trying to maximize your Bitcoin holdings. And do those two things come into conflict of one another where you're just like, I don't, I really don't want to sell my Bitcoin like right now, right? Or, or, and, and, and do you think that emotion kind of gets involved and hurt, hurts some people in this industry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what you have to plan for is the, you have to think long-term if you're going to be in mining, right? And, and that's where I go back to, it's more like a utility where you're going to expect some sort of constant return over time. And if you think you're going to get rich mining, uh, you're better off just buying Bitcoin and holding for a long term, right? So, you know, there's been lots of analysis around, you know, you're, really, you're probably one of the best strategies is just mine and mine and sell every day, right? During certain cycles, that's the best strategy is literally sell every single day. If you try to time the market, you're going to be upside down. Um, selling some forward call options actually gives you a little extra juice, but you're not going to, you're, you're, you might make a couple extra percent on your, on your um, assets, you know, as opposed to, making huge amounts of money. Right. Um, so, you know, for us, we're, we're here to, you know, to provide a service to the industry and to defend the, to defend the network. Like we provide the security for the Bitcoin network and that's, that's our job, you know? Yeah. And can you, can you go into that really quick? You know, why that's so important? Uh, and also kind of what role you think DCG and, and Foundry plays, you know, in, in, in securing the Bitcoin network and and where China fits into that picture, you know we hear a lot of stories about people being worried about the size of mining pools in China, and um, I'm sure you remember maybe a year ago or so, CZ suggested that they reverse uh, you know transactions on the Bitcoin network 
when there was a, a large hack. Um, and and so you know you know kind of where you know the the strategic importance of North America and kind of removing some of that hash rate out of out of China and Asia, or, or if you think that's actually important. Yeah, so I, a lot of people love to make this like a U.S. versus China um, story, and and I don't I don't really buy into that. I think what's important is continuing to keep the hash rate decentralized throughout the world. Right. And, um, and it's going to fluctuate over time, right? So it would not be good for the U.S. to dominate the hash rate either. And I don't think the U.S. will ever dominate the hash rate. But I do think we can make it a little more level throughout, throughout the world. Um, we've got incredible support from Bitmain and MicroBT to grow hash rate in North America. They see it as a huge opportunity for their businesses, and they're very excited to support us on this. I think the United States has some some great advantages for for mining. Um, everybody loves to talk about the regulatory environment. Um, I think we have a lot of low cost energy. We have a lot of stranded energy. We have a lot of infrastructure already built. And entrepreneurs in the United States are are seeing that and seeing the opportunity to to go um, to go create um, more more hash rate in, in in North America. So so what from a security perspective, you know, for for Bitcoin to continue to grow, the price of Bitcoin to grow, for it to become used by more and more people, I think. The, you have to continue to provide more and more security to the network. And you provide that security to the network through more investment in hash power. Uh, so they kind of go one and the same, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think Bitcoin can, you know, everyone, the Winklevoss twins love to say Bitcoin is going to be $500,000 per coin, right? We're not going to get there until, until the hash rate is, I, I don't know, pick a number, you know? 500 X a hash or a thousand X a hash, you know, so it's going to continue to grow. And, and so kind of just quickly back to your own mining operations. So one of the questions that, that I always have is, is how do you determine which assets to mine and how just much of an equation is that? Is it, is it just, you know, plug and play? This is currently the cost of mining. Let's you know, and, and I know that certain mining equipment is only capable of certain of mining certain networks, right? So I guess you're 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 inevitably limited a little bit by at least the t- the type of equipment that you have. But how do you determine you know which assets to 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 mine at any given point in time? Are you are you changing that? Like, are you mining one asset one day and then halfway through the day flipping and mining something else because it because it comes becomes more profitable? Like, what does that process actually look like? Uh, yeah, so there's um, a, there's a couple different things in that question. One, it definitely depends on the equipment that you have, right? So certain equipment only mines certain algorithms, and then within that algorithm, there could be multiple coins that could be mined in that algorithm, right? So SHA two fifty six, you can mine Bitcoin, you can mine Bitcoin Cash, you can mine Bitcoin SV. Uh, so you can switch between those. Um, for us, I think. Our approach is there are certain algorithms we believe in, certain protocols we believe in, and we want to support those protocols. Um, so we we pretty much mine those those particular coins. Um, you can go use the online calculators. Some of them are are, are really good, but you have, you also have to understand the cycle, right? So, for instance, back in in January February of this year, you went to the online calculators. It would tell you that uh, it probably, you know, the return on investment. Uh, most people, when they get into mining, they want a return on investment in less than twelve months, right? And for me, coming from the traditional world, you know, when you're making capital capital investments, and you can get a twelve month return, that is like off the charts incredible, right? Um, but back in January, February, all the all the uh, online calculators would say, you know, investing in mining was a two-year payback and nobody wanted to wanted to invest. And we looked at it and said, well, that that those online calculators are like a point in time. And if the market performs the way we think it's going to perform, 
um, you want to get your hands on machines when you can. So we started buying lots and lots of equipment in the first half of last year. And even when we started plugging the stuff in, uh, you know, the online calculator still said it was going to be a two-year return, right? Well, we've been mining with this equipment for six months. The equipment is worth more today than what it was when we purchased it. And now the online calculators are saying, I don't know, it's like a 12-month return, you know? So, but the problem is you can't get equipment now. Yeah, that was even my question is, is, so how did you, when you first went out to get equipment, you know, how, how did you source that? Are you buying only new equipment? Um, how are you dealing so, with, you know, manufacturers and, and you know, what, what does the supply chain look like and why are there issues today? Yeah, so for us, um, we only focused on the, the latest generation equipment. And we only worked with, we, right now we work with Bitmain and MicroBT because they had the best equipment out on the market. And it's tough. You had to, we had to place bets knowing that new equipment wasn't going to arrive for, you know, and back then it was like four to five months. And uh, we, you have to put all the cash up front. So you're wiring millions and millions of dollars uh, to China. And, you know, you have to understand who you're working with. And, and there's some, there's a little bit of a bet that they're going to come through with the, the machines, right? Um, and that's still the case today. If you want to get into the mining, you have to place your bet now. And they're, they're taking orders for July now. Um, so we're almost seven months out. It's like um, almost worse than the vaccine. It's like, <laughs> it's coming exactly. after the COVID vaccine. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you, you have to, you know, so I tell people like, if you want to get into mining and you're serious about it, you have to make your, your bets today. Like you have to place your bets today. You can't wait until March of next year to place your bet because you're not going to get why your equipment. Why is the supply to... chain such an issue though? Why is there such yeah, a uh, Great question. So it's really a wafer constraint at TSMC and Samsung. So those are the two big uh, uh, wafer production for, for uh, chips. Can, can you explain Yeah, what a wafer is? Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, you're now don't, don't get, don't make me get too technical because <laughs> um, I can't go that far. Uh, so, uh, you know, whatever, it's some piece of equipment that's incredibly important to, to, well, to like for all for, for, for your, your phones, those micro are made from a silicone um, wafer. Those wafers are produced really in the, 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 the latest generation wafers are produced in two places. Uh, Taiwan at TSMC and in Korea, South Korea with Samsung. And uh, most of the wafer production obviously goes for computers and phones. So Apple gets the best chips. Um, what MicroBT and, and Bitmain have done is they've taken those chips, they've, they've designed ASICs using that, that wafer technology um, to mine Bitcoin, right? In this particular case. So uh, the problem is that they're kind of at the back of the line, right? If, are you going to, are you going to place, are you going to give wafers to Apple or are you going to give wafers to um, uh, Bitmain, right? Like that's, that's the decision that has to be made. So Bitmain gets some, they get a very, very small, we get, I think the industry in, in total gets like three to 5% of all wafer production goes to Bitcoin mining. So there, right now there's just a huge demand for the latest generation um, phones. Uh, so the- So basically the if, you're in, if you're in crypto, stop buying the new iPhone is, 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 what, is what we're hearing here from Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yeah. so, so TSMC and, and Samsung only give so much product, you know, production capacity to, to micro BT and Bitmain. So we're constructing, they're constrained there. So there's not that many machines available. I think that'll probably change towards the end of next year and into 2022. Um, so this cycle, I think, is going to be a little bit longer than people anticipate. Yeah, I wonder if we'll eventually be flooded with equipment. I'm sure the answer is yes, right? You know, at, the beginning, of, at the beginning of COVID, right? Nobody could get a mask. Nobody could get hand sanitizer. And now every single piece of hand sanitizer is on sale. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's to your point. It cycles, right? And I think it having cycles. that long term approach and investing in, you know, knowing that you're going to have a cycle where there's a tremendous amount of equipment 
you're eventually going to have a cycle where there's a tremendous amount of new capital flowing into the space. I think being prepared for that is, is super interesting. And so do you think that miners' power over the, the Bitcoin or crypto industry more broadly is, is over or underrepresented? And, and how can miners directly impact markets? So, I, you know, miners are important, obviously, to the security of the network and to process the transactions. In terms of their influence on the price, you know, I don't know. I'm becoming less and less convinced that miners really have a huge impact on the overall price of Bitcoin. And I think that's changed. I think that you had a belief that they had more of an impact a few years ago. I, I did. I, I did. I, and, and maybe in different cycles, you know, so, you know, they definitely, um, when mining margins are tight, they're liquidating everything they're mining. And when, you know, mining margins are, are robust, they're able to hold more coin. Um, I mean, but we're talking less money being liquidated than is rolling into grayscale on a daily basis. So exactly, exactly. So yeah, I think this market has changed dramatically. And I, I'm not sure people really appreciate how much it's changed. Um, you know, everyone, a lot of people talk about it, I guess, today of like, we're sitting close to 20,000. And this feels very different than 2017. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it also has to do with, you know, when when there was a block reward of 50. And obviously, there was not really a mining industry back then. But, you know, people were mining on their computers, you know, th- those individuals had much more significant of an impact than, than would be today, just because now the supply of Bitcoin is up to what 19 million or 18 plus million in, in active supply. You know, the block reward is 6.25 BTC. So it's just it's it's significantly less an impact than I think could have had could have could have been the case even even two years ago. You may have been more right just because the block reward size was 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 double what it is today. Yeah, yeah, and 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 maybe it maybe it maybe it changes a year from now when when the prices of Bitcoin is much higher and there's less that's moving and the only real flow is from the miners maybe. And all of a sudden miners decide not to sell, you know, and maybe you get, you know, some wild spikes, but at some point the miners have to sell to pay their electric bill. There's no way, there's no way around that. We haven't got utilities yet to accept Bitcoin. (laughs) Uh, You know, like another, another great, another great, uh, I think myth is around this like vir- this virgin coin idea, you know. Like, I remember people saying like people would pay twenty percent more for a virgin coin. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so I like look at it. if if you want to pay me twenty percent more for the Bitcoin I'm mining, give me a call. I, I will sell it to you for sure. Right. Um, but it was the first question I asked when I when I got the DCG. You know, I asked the grayscale guys. I asked the Genesis guys. I'm like, hey. Will you pay extra for, for Virgin Coin? And they're like, what are you talking about? No. Anybody listening who doesn't know, Virgin <laughs> Coin just means newly mined coin. And there have been, you know, just just a coin that was mined. Basically, the idea that people were floating around uh, at least a couple of years ago was the idea that people didn't want to touch risky Bitcoins, right? And and if it was newly mined, it was less risky. But we've obviously seen you know, solutions enter this market around, you know, market monitoring and surveillance from elliptic to chain analysis to others in the space. It's very easy to to track Bitcoin and, and ownership history and whether or not it's participated in black markets. So to your point, I mean that makes sense. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I would the one the one other thing is is people are thinking about getting into the space. You know, what I before you make an investment in in a mining facility or mining equipment, give us a call and we can help help you think through that investment and help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls that, that people fall into, you know, reach out, reach yeah, out. Well, I was We're, about to, my next question that flows in perfectly is what are the biggest challenges and risks and, and what are the things that people need to be aware of, you know, which, you know, obviously they should reach out to get a lot more detail, but give us the 30 second pitch. Yeah. So if, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, it's fall, you know, it's not, um, it's it's not uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna work out the way you think it's gonna work out. Um, I'd say the you know the biggest pitfalls is is um, project delays, is buying the equipment at the wrong time, um, and not having a low enough cost. And you know Bitcoin is ruthless. The Bitcoin algorithm is 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 ruthless in its quest for low cost and 
the low, the guys that are focused on low cost are the ones that win long-term. So if you miss the cycle by six months, you can get burned really fast. They call us, we can help, help talk you through it. And we'll, we'll put all of the links to uh, Foundry in the description on the video. And then if you're listening to the audio on the podcast, it will also be in the description as well. Yeah, great. And and so you brought up Bitmain earlier, uh, and they are the largest or were the largest chip manufacturer, uh, but they've had very public and notable internal conflicts and shipment delays. So you know how, how reliant are companies on receiving new equipment in a timely manner? And I guess to your point earlier, it's you need to make the investment know it, knowing it's coming later and it's not just on Bitmain. But, but how impactful do you think this feud is on the industry more broadly, you know, the internal feud at Bitmain? Because it's, it's, you know, it's impact, one of my closest friends is one of the largest shareholders in this fuming. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it seems like it, it's having some levels of ripple effects throughout the rest of the market. Yeah, so I think um, you know it's unfortunate. Uh, it just creates more, you know, it just speaks to kind of the wild, wild west mentality of mining um, when the biggest company in the space um, has these very public disagreements, internal disagreements. Uh, so it was it was pretty ugly, you know, through the summer and early fall. I would say it was pretty ugly at Bitmain, and it was challenging and and. They made a lot of miners upset, um, and I think they set back their business a little bit. Um, from what we can tell over the last kind of eight weeks, things have improved significantly. So they continue to they're starting to ship product on time now, and uh, you know really ramping up their efforts for next year. So you know I think I think uh, Jihan and McCree kind of figured out a way that they can work together going forward and. I think overall that'll be good for the the industry. And so, on a related note, Canaan yesterday came out with their earnings, uh, and their stock fell by by about thirteen percent. Uh, they noted a, a decrease in demand for equipment. Uh, you know, equipment sales were down, and, and different things like that. Do you do you think that's a, a manufacturer problem, or do you think that the industry just saw less demand over the, the past few months, which is kind of returning with price going back up? So for for Canon and and uh, InnoSilicon and and some of the other guys, it's been harder for them to get wafers and to really build a competitive machine compared to what you know the the S19 or the the M30s. So they just haven't been able to get a machine out to the market that is a good investment for miners. Hopefully that changes next year. Um, both of them, you know, everybody's announced and kind of new machines coming out at some point next year. Uh, I don't know when that's actually going to happen just based on wafer availability, you know, getting chips. So I don't know. They're in a tough spot right now. They're in a tough spot right now. And so, you know, this is the fundamental value podcast. So one, one question that we ask all, all of our guests, and I'm interested in, in your perspective, you know, you know, obviously as a miner is, is how do you define fundamentals for crypto and, and does it depend on the token? I'm trying to. There's uh, a lot to unpack. It's a giant yeah, question, like, which is yeah, why we have a whole podcast around it, right? You know, what when when you're looking at Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin value, Bitcoin's value, what are the drivers of that, and, and what makes it valuable? I guess is my question. Yeah, so uh, let me. I'll I'll answer that from a I guess a miner's perspective, right? So people people say, well, you know, there's no there's nothing that backs Bitcoin, and I'd say, well there's four to 5 million machines spread out throughout the world mining Bitcoin, which is providing the security, processing the transactions, and it's done in a decentralized way in which it can never be shut down. Like that is a huge amount of value. And there's literally billions of dollars going into supporting um, and securing the Bitcoin network Every year, so there, there's kind of like a floor at which there's inherent value in the Bitcoin network from this 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 worldwide computer that's that's running it. You know, I, I like to I like to think of it as like the machines are paying us to build a machine that can never be shut down, and the only thing it can do is the transfer Bitcoin value is controlling today. us. <laughs> it is it totally controls. Keep look at it. I work an unbelievable amount of hours trying to support this machine and keep it running. I mean, can <laughs> you, you know? imagine like, you know, Satoshi, when he first started mining Bitcoin on his 2008, you know, 
laptop probably versus, you know, kind of where we've come to today. It's unbelievable. I mean, I still remember friends in college mining Doge in their dorm rooms and, you know, stealing electricity from, from universities to, you know, this industry, to your point, with 5 million pieces of equipment. I mean, and, and at the average price, this equipment is in the thousands of dollars, right? We're not talking about inexpensive equipment you know, around the globe supporting this network is, is, is quite tremendous. I mean, when I think of Bitcoin, I like to think of the community and, 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 you know, kind of the fundamental value that enough people believe. But I think mining plays into that community, right? And, and obviously, there's, there's that, there's that in, investment in the actual infrastructure, and the infrastructure that's supporting it. But it's the community of miners that believe in Bitcoin is, is a huge part of this puzzle that I think is, is sorely underrepresented. I mean, you go on CNBC and you hear people talking about Bitcoin and the price and being digital gold. Nobody talks about the miners, and I think that's that's kind of an unrep- underrepresented part of this industry. Yeah, this it, it, people ask like, when are the institutional guys going to show up in the mining space? We, we deployed a hundred million dollars in the last ten months. Like, how much bigger do you have to get before it's institutional money? You know, right, right, so, right. <laughs> it's and here. Yeah, I mean, Barry Barry Silbert, you know, epitomizes institutional money from his background. So, and and yeah, you know, absolutely. on the board of DCG and on the investment committee are guys from Bain and you know, Glenn Hutchins used to run Silver Lake. I mean, that is, you know, they've been institutional for 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 five six years already. So, yes, yeah, and so and, you know, no, we didn't spend much time talking about proof of stake. Uh, that's like the other half of our business, and you know, just. Just real quick on that, I, I, it's an exciting world on the proof of stake side, and I'm yeah. Give us your thoughts on ETH 2.0 as well. So we're participating. Um, we we got our nodes up and and we've staked some ETH, and so we're part of the Genesis block, which is pretty exciting today for that to to go live. I think what's what I think people underappreciate right now is a lot of the projects that got kicked off back in 2017 and and early 18 those teams have been heads down building for the last three years and their proof of stake networks are going live now. And it's, it's pretty exciting um, kind of how these are going to play out. Um, I think it'll coexist with proof of work. Like the Bitcoin will always be proof of work. And I think it, it provides a certain level of value, but the, um, the proof of stake I think is going to be a, a huge industry and we're in the very early stages of it. And and so how do you envision yourself participating? Because I think inevitably with proof of stake, there's more risk than with proof of work because you have you have exposure to the underlying asset, right? Where whereas with Bitcoin money, I guess you do as well, but but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go out and buy, you know, five million BTC to stake it, right? You know, you can you can just run mining equipment and not have that underlying exposure. So, you know, kind of how do you think think that through in a way? You know, how do you determine what assets that you want to stake? And what assets that you want to have exposure to? Well, one of the best things about working at DCG is the fact that we have an amazing team. And those guys think through which protocols they they want to support. And uh, we're able to provide the infrastructure um, part of that investment, right? So uh, DCG may support the underlying team. They may buy the asset. And then we can build out the infrastructure to to support these proof of stake chains. So I'd say we're, you know, if, if folks are looking to kick off a proof of stake, a new proof of stake algorithm, you know, they should reach out to us because we can be uh, a, a strong supporter of their network and, and many different levels. And do you guys offer a plan to offer staking as a service? Is that kind of part of the offering? You know, I don't know if we'll... So the answer would be yes, but it's going to be focused on institutional type customers, right? So we've kind of got our own built-in customer base. Between, like if Genesis is custodying assets, they could be you guys could could run nodes. On we could provide that service to them. Yeah, we won't. We'll we'll never you know reach out to the retail market. It's just not our business model. Right. No that makes focus. Sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And I guess Luno, I mean, DCG has such this, is this bill. I mean, for anybody who's not aware of DCG and has just been listening to us and not familiar, I mean, DCG runs crypto. I mean, Barry is, Barry is, you know, I, I joke that Mike is the king of crypto mining, but Barry is really the king of crypto behind the scenes. I mean, DCG runs the largest lending desk, the largest, you know, fund through, through, through Grayscale. The you know um, the one of the two largest publications of the space has 150 investments and has now deployed 100 million dollars into mining, 
and you know does so many other things. You know, earlier this year they bought one of the larger retail exchanges called Luna, which has millions of users. And so, you know, what I'm just alluding to here is potentially, you know, Luna wants to offer staking as a service to their customers, uh, and and just kind of how that how you know, how DCG has all these opportunities to, to play between the different resources. Yeah. You know, Luno is such an incredible company. Um, and for, for, like, I didn't know anything about Luno until, until uh, DCG acquired them. And they're the, they're the coin base of the developing world. They have 5 million customers. They have over 400 employees. It's a, it's an amazing organization. And they're, they're bringing, they're bringing cryptocurrencies to all the parts of the world that need it the most. And it's, it's really exciting. It's really exciting. And it's super, super happy to have them part of the team. And yeah, we're going to be able to support them in a lot of ways. And so moving on to, you know, our last kind of, you know, few questions. The first, which we like to ask everybody is, is what worries you most about crypto? Uh, and, and what about the industry has you most excited today? What worries me the most? So. I'm much closer to the end of my career than the start of my career, right? So I guess one thing that worries me is FOMO. it's not going <laughs> to, what's that? I said, you have FOMO. You, you, you want to be here for a while. <laughs> I, yeah. Like I'm, I'm worried it's going to, it's going to take too long to play out and I'm not going to get to see kind of the, the fruits of it. On the flip side, I also think there's a possibility it's going to happen much faster than any of us anticipate. And I don't know what the you know what the worldwide implications of that will be, and you know I hope it's a peaceful transition. So I guess that's I guess that's something that I, I yeah spend I've a little I've, time I've kind about. of I've kind of moved into the boat of I'm just going to buy Bitcoin and hold it. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I think it's going to go up. It's just a matter of how long it takes to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so if you weren't in crypto, uh, what kind of job or, or do you think you'd have today? Do you think you'd still be doing, you know, these private equity back deals and, and being an operating partner? Or? You know, I don't know if I could go back to the old world. Like this crypto space, it just moves so fast. It's so exciting. It's such an impact on the, on the greater good of humanity. I don't, I would have a really hard time going back to the traditional world. So I'm I'm here for the long term. That's that's my goal. That's my goal, Josh. And so, how can people reach out to uh, to your team? Uh, so they can find us on Twitter at at uh, Foundry uh, Services is our Twitter handle. FoundryDigital.com is our website. You know, you can you go on on the website and and reach us that way is probably the quickest and easiest. So, um, and like I said, we're if you're looking to make investments in the mining space, just just reach out to us first. We can kind of talk you through it before you make a, a bad decision or a, a, you know hit one of the pitfalls. Um, hey, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is the tie. Our team is using the, the product, your product, and it, they love it. They love it. So well, congratulations. I, 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The, the point of this podcast is to not talk about the tie, but I appreciate the little little pitch at the end. Maybe I'll have to take this and move it to the front of the video right. just for uh, anybody who decides they want to leave after 20 minutes, at least get the pitch. <laughs> Look at you. Three years ago, we, we met and, and you laid out your grand vision and it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish. And, and, and what we've done today is absolutely nothing like what the grand vision was three years ago but uh, <laughs> that inevitably you know is, is part of being a startup like i just remember and i remember so so mike and mike i actually met you and i think you know this on the first day i quit my job to go full-time into crypto and uh you know i remember laying out this vision and and the i knew i still know nothing about crypto i mean this industry evolves so fast i know nothing like i absolutely nothing but i knew completely zero back then. And I've just, I would be so embarrassed to walk into a room with myself and to hear how I was talking about crypto and thinking about the industry back in 2018. But I think a lot of people can probably say the same thing. But it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, Mike was there when we got, you know, our first office and it was two people in, in the city and we had a whiteboard and we were just drawing out all these terrible ideas that never came to fruition. So it's, uh, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you've been part of this journey and also that I've seen you you know, grow from just, you know, you know, having Savage and being part of this thing to now running, you know, the, the largest or, or what will become the largest, you know, mining operation in North America. It's been a fun journey. It's been a very fun journey. 
Well, I, more to come. More to come. Yeah, I, I appreciate I, I appreciate your time as always. And I'd love to have you on for another episode at some point to just go over the staking part, because to your point, we really just covered mining and there and there's so much to do. But but thanks again. You know, really appreciated this. I thought it was a great episode and, and loved having you on. Yeah. Joshua, thank you very much for the invite. Really appreciate it.